Well, Jeremy, thank you for praying, and thank you for your service to our nation, and uh, thank you to all of you who have served or are currently serving uh, for the protection of our Freedom Church. If you would just let those who are serving know, we appreciate them uh, very much. And we do invite you back tomorrow uh, on our campus, tomorrow evening, as we celebrate uh, the freedoms that we have in this country, and we'll be uh, having food together, and there'll be a lot of activities uh, for uh, the children, and of course, uh, we will watch things explode like the true American way. And so, uh, we would love for you to be here tomorrow night. And speaking of celebration, I just want to share with our whole church this past uh, Tuesday, I had the privilege of baptizing uh, Lisa uh, in uh, the pool of uh, one of her life group uh, members this past week. And so we celebrate uh, what God is doing in Lisa's life and her public profession of faith and how he's working. Let's praise him. Uh, let me say real quick, if you're here with us today for the first time, I'm incredibly grateful that you are our guest, and we as a church would love to know who you are. You can stop by one of the welcome areas on your way off campus this morning, or uh, if you're with us on campus or if you're joining us online for the first time, you can also text the word CONNECT uh, to the number that you see on the screen, and one of our team members will follow up with you uh, this week. All right, well, today we are continuing our time in Mark chapter 13, that's the 13th chapter of Mark's gospel as we are looking at things uh, that really seem to portray the end of the world. And so we're talking about, uh, you know, the end of the world as we know it. And hopefully uh, you are walking away feeling fine. Um, we started off by talking about how the world does not revolve around a place. It revolves around a person. And so the center of faith is, is Jesus, not a building or a city uh, that we might look to. Last week, we talked about how in this world, we will have trouble, but we should not be afraid because Jesus has overcome the world. Today, we are talking about God's purpose for the world and how nothing can or will stop God's purpose for the world. For the most part, I really want to focus in on one verse in this chapter and what that means for the world and what that means for this community of believers in Niceville. Before I look at the verse, I wanna read Mark chapter 13, verse three and four, just to understand the context of what is being said. So chapter three tells us that Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, excuse me, verse three tells us that Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, which he had just told the disciples was going to be destroyed. And Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. So they wanna know, hey, if the temple is gonna be destroyed, then you know, how is that gonna happen? And Jesus, uh, while he really puts their attention on the main purposes of God, does tell them some things that are gonna happen. And today, I particularly wanna emphasize one verse that he says that I think is important and we alluded to last week, and that is verse 10 of this text. And here's what it says. Jesus says, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Let's begin with the word gospel. The word gospel is a Greek word, euangelion, and it means good news. It was a word that was commonly associated with a herald who would come to proclaim a message on behalf of a king and the good news that he would be spreading often in victory uh, for that kingdom. 
Now, when Matthew writes about Jesus' teaching here, this is what Matthew says. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So whenever Jesus is talking about the gospel or whenever the Bible is talking about the gospel, it does mean the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and so he is making that clear. He is making that distinct to the Jewish audience who understood the idea from the Old Testament of the coming kingdom of God. And so gospel of the kingdom is a summary phrase of what Jesus preached as he ministered through the towns of, uh, and villages of Palestine. In fact, Mark tells us in his gospel that when Jesus began his ministry, the ministry was the ministry of the kingdom of God. Here's what he says in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. He says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus was preaching the time that the Old Testament had told us about, the kingdom that the Old Testament had told us about, it's fulfilled, it's at hand. So repent and believe in the good news of the kingdom of God, of the time being fulfilled. So when Jesus says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel, he means that the time has come for God to enter into this world as never before, to reveal his glory in a personal way and to comfort his people and to bring victory. And this is called gospel because it is such good news for all who repent and trust in God. And this same gospel message is relevant to us today. This is what when we evangelize, we share. I typically use, when I'm trying to explain the gospel to someone, the three circles method of evangelism, and we'll kind of illustrate what that is. What that is is saying to someone, hey, God's design is that we walk with him and we know him and we experience his goodness, but all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and so that leads to brokenness, brokenness in our life and brokenness in the world. Sin is the reason that we experience brokenness and the reason we see brokenness. The gospel is God's answer to that, that we have separated ourselves from God's design and walked into brokenness. But there is good news. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is here. God has come to be with us. He has made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so repent and believe. Change your mind. Stop living for your own kingdom. Stop living for your own purposes and live for the, God's design. Believe that in the gospel. And then the Christian life is just the recovery and pursuit then of God's design. The understanding that because of the gospel, we will experience the fullness of God's design in heaven. And so we want to live thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what the gospel is. The text also tells us here, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. All nations. When the New Testament and the Old Testament use the word nations, it doesn't mean what we typically think of when we think of nations. The Greek word here is the word ethnos. Nations, 
ethnos is not referring to political geographic states like the United States of America or Canada or Mexico or China, but the word ethnos, nations, and the word used in the Old Testament for nations means ethnic groupings with cultural and language distinctions that make it hard for the gospel to spread naturally from one group to the other. So nations in the Bible are groups like the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, and I could go on with the Ites. Today, there are seven and a half billion people in this world, and they're gathered into anywhere from 16,000 to 24,000 distinct people groups. The Joshua Project estimates that there are 17,500 people groups, groups like the Cherokee, who might live in the United States of America, but they are distinct in their culture and in their language and in their way of life. The Darji in southern India, which are around 400,000 people. The Hongjantai in southwest China, which are 220,000 people. All groups, 17,500 or more groups of people that are distinct and different and even often have their own dialect of a language. And the task that the Bible is presenting us with and the task that Jesus is giving us in the Bible is not merely to win individuals with the gospel, but that the church would reach all these different groups that exist in the world. God has expressed this desire to his children from the beginning of his relationship with them. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 4, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and God says to Abraham, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Not one group, not one nation, but rather the promise that I'm making to you, Abraham, is a promise for all the nations. You shall be a father of the multitude of nations. The people of God would worship with their mind set on this. Psalm 67 is just one of those examples. Psalm 67, the psalm, the song says this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. They were asking God for his grace and his blessing on them with the understanding that God's blessing and grace on his people was so that all the nations would see God's blessing and God's grace. This is a part of what God was doing in his people in the Old Testament. And then God sends Jesus into the world so that the good news might be proclaimed throughout all the world. And as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven after being crucified and resurrected, he tells his disciples this, all authority on heaven and on earth, all authority of the kingdom has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And then the picture we have of heaven. John tells us this 
in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It is clear from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation throughout the whole entirety of the Bible, through the whole narrative of God's people, that God's desire is for all peoples to come to know him, that his glory would be given to him from every language and every tribe and every nation. That is the picture we have of what eternity looks like. And so when we think about evangelism and we think about missions, we think about God's glory being spread in every single one of these 17,000 or more groups of people that are distinct that their pride is not in their culture or in their nation, but in the king who they were created to give glory. This is a part of what God does in our heart when we understand who he is, because we want to see more of his glory. As a Christian, missions is not a duty, it is a delight. It becomes a desire of our heart because we understand that there are places and there are people who do not experience and understand the glory of God, and he deserves that glory. John Piper puts it this way, missions exist because worship does not. Missions exist because worship does not. We are on mission because there are people who are not worshiping God. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Notice that the text also says that the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. In Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10, it tells us how someone is saved. The text says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For the heart a person believes and is justified with the mouth a person confesses and is saved. Romans 10 will go on to say in verse 13 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul says, how will, they, how will they be saved? How will they believe if they don't hear? And how will they hear if no one preaches? And how will they, someone preach if they are not sent? As believers, we must understand that the church, believers, are called to preach the gospel. There's a Western way of thinking that has moved away from this. You may have been familiar with a, a phrase that is often um, ascribed to St. Francis, but we really don't know who said it, but it says, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. It's always necessary to use words. That's heresy. Jesus has told us to proclaim the gospel. The, God, the word says that people don't believe without hearing the gospel. And so we as people of God should be serving. We should be meeting needs. But we must never forget that the greatest need that someone has is the spiritual emptiness and darkness that they have apart from the good news of Jesus Christ. And we must proclaim the gospel. We must not believe in this idea that we are simply to be people of good works. And we must also be serious about the gospel this is why those who are in positions of leadership and teaching within the church must preserve and protect that the church isn't distorting the gospel. 
The gospel is not just that God created you and he loves you and you just be yourself and find what's in your heart and follow your heart and you'll be good. The gospel is not that, hey, you should live for whatever you want in this earth and that this live your best life right now. YOLO, whatever it might be. The gospel is that we are sinners and that that leads us to brokenness and that there is no hope for us to be restored to God's design apart from Jesus, but God has given the free gift of Jesus Christ to all of us. The gospel is let's feel the weight of our sin and then let's feel that weight immediately relieved by the cross of Jesus Christ. We must be people who proclaim that. That's the true source of hope. That's the true source of salvation. And that's what truly brings glory to God. So the gospel must be proclaimed. And we as a church, we have to prioritize the proclamation of the gospel to those who need to hear it. That's a tension for the American church because we often make decisions based on what makes us feel good and not based on what really is the need. That's something that we as a church have really been evaluating, and I know our missions uh, team and our community outreach and evangelism team are continually evaluating because the priority of our church needs to be the gospel. At every single Discover Bayshore that uh, we do, we, we, we share this information. We have a slide to show you from our Discover Bayshore in case you haven't been there in a while. But one thing is that our value is that the church doesn't do missions. We are on mission. Missions isn't one program or one team, or one group of people, but all of us who are found in Christ are ambassadors for Christ. We are all to live on mission, and so what we do together is really reflective of what we do as individuals. But when we come together to do missions, we prioritize certain things. One, it says there is church planning, local and global church planning, because we wanna see the gospel planted and communities of faith planted specifically in places where there is little access to the gospel, there is little representation of the church, or maybe there is gospel confusion. And statistics say that one of the greatest tools for effective evangelism is church plants. That it is much cheaper to see people come to know Christ through church planning than it is through being an established church. And so it's a great use of the kingdom resources, and it creates work to start, to keep going. Some of you might think church planting is weird, but I would just remind you that this church was planted in 1910. And if you're a part of a church, it was once a church plan. So if you think it's weird, throw that out of your mind. That's how God has been establishing his kingdom since the gospel was planted through Christ. We also say that missionary partnerships are important to us. We wanna support those who feel the call to go in the field, to leave the comforts of home and advance the gospel. We also say 127 in 1910, that's James 127 in Leviticus 19.10. And we're, we're throughout the Bible, but specifically these two passages talk about four groups of people that God tells the church to care for, that he tells his people to care for. The widow, the orphan, or the fatherless, the sojourner, the refugee, and the poor. These are four people that we cannot read the Bible and not see that God tells his church to particularly be mindful of. And these are four people that are often fertile ground for seeds of the gospel to be planted and so we need to prioritize that. And then local engagement, we wanna say as a church, how can we work together to see more people hear about who Jesus is? But even as I talk about all this, one of the things that we have to be very aware of is the need for the gospel to go where it is already not. It is not already. Uh, we have a, a slide that's uh, put out by uh, the IMB, the International Mission Board, and this is the global status 
of evangelical Christianity. I realize you might not be able to see that very clearly, but I think you can see enough to understand, unless you're colorblind, and if so, I'll I'll explain that to you. I didn't mean that as a joke, by the way. Um, There are different colors up here. The darker green represents a place where there is greater than a 10% uh, evangelical population. So, you know, that means Protestant evangelical Christians that are in those places. And then, you know, the the lighter green you go to, there's less of a witness. You go into yellow where less than 2% of the population uh, is Christianity and, but there's still, there's church planning activity going on. Ultimately to the red places where there's very few believers. And in most of those places, there's really no church that exists. And these are good things, but so much of what Christians in America do are take trips to Central America, where in some countries there is missions tourism as an industry. And again, I'm not saying we should stop doing that, but I'm saying we have to prioritize this. I remember I'm wearing my red chucks today because I bought them in India. Um, I think at the time they were like 60 bucks in the U.S. and they cost me 13 bucks then. And Justin bought the same ones. We were at different churches. We were on the same trip. And I brought them because I knew I was, I wore them today because I knew I was gonna be talking about this. And I remember, you know, if you went to Mumbai, the city of Mumbai, which it was really less than 2% evangelical, um, and you would still see lots of mosques and you would see Hindu temples, you would, you would encounter churches in most of the uh, train stops, basically. However, if you went a couple hours outside of the city, it would be hard-pressed to find evangelicals. And I remember we went into one village and we were just walking through the streets of this village and, and people were happy for you to come in their house in this village because they'd never seen a real-life American. And I don't know if they were disappointed or excited that we weren't Britney Spears because that's what they thought of when they thought of America. And so they, they let us sit down in their house. And on one particular occasion, I asked a guy, I said, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? And he said to me, I think he lives in the next village. He had never heard, as a 30-something-year-old man, the name of Jesus Christ. Today, all across this world, specifically in places like rural India and rural China, there are children that are the age of my children who no fault of their own are born into homes where they're taught that their ancestors are their key to eternal life or that a false God is the key to eternal life. Church, this has to be a priority. Carrying the message of Jesus Christ to all of these people groups has to be a part of what we do and it has to be something we sacrifice our time and our money to ensure is happening. We cannot do everything in the world, but we can do something about it. And I'm not saying all the other things that we do are bad, but I'm saying that this is a priority. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. The last thing I'll show you about this text is it says the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. In verse 20, it says, Jesus says, if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. 
Now, when he's talking about the days, we need to remember what we talked about last week. In verses 5 through 19, Jesus is explaining some tribulation that is going to take place. It's tribulation that takes place in the time of the disciples, in the time of the people who are there. Now, when Jesus says no human being would be saved, he's referring to physical salvation. Jesus is saying, if it wasn't for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he would not have shortened the days and no one would have lived. What Jesus is showing us here is God's sovereignty in the trials of this world. He's showing us God's sovereignty in the trials of this world. Now, when we see trials in this world, we often think, why do these bad things happen? But I think the greater question, if we really look at our world and we really look at the sin in our hearts in the world, is not why do bad things happen, but why does God actually let any good thing happen? And we struggle mainly because we don't fully understand what God is doing. But the overall purpose is very clear. The gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations. The glory of God must be spread throughout the nations. The message of reconciliation must be spread throughout all of the nations. And what this text is telling us is that God is preserving people so that the gospel would continue to be spread. This is actually not centered around the survival of those people. Often when we think, I made it through a trial on earth, that's the ultimate purpose on God is that I would be happy on earth. No, You'll be fully satisfied in heaven. But God, what Jesus is saying, he's saying there are those who have not heard. There are nations that do not know. And so God is preserving so that those would come to see who he is. And we need to really realize the centrality of this is on Christ. And so when we think about bad things happening, I don't remember who I first heard say this, but a bad thing only happened to a good person one time in history. And that's our only hope, the crucifixion of Christ. And so whatever God does in preserving people through trials is so that that message would continue to be spread. He says, for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Now, I don't want you to get lost on this because people have debated the sovereignty of God and the free will of man for thousands of years and they still debate it. And I don't say this because I haven't studied this. In fact, if you want to argue either side with me, I'd find too much joy in arguing with you on either side here. Here's what I will say, and here's what we will proclaim as a church. Some of you lean very heavily on the free will of man, and some of you lean very heavily on the sovereignty of God. As long as you reconcile, reconcile and recognize that God's sovereignty and our responsibility for our sin are reconciled and that we as human beings can't fully reconcile it because we are not God, then we're good and we can keep functioning. When you begin to obsess on either end and make it your agenda to help everyone see what you have seen, and I'm not saying we can't study these things and grow closer to God, but when it becomes your agenda and said the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, then we have a problem. Here's what I believe. I believe there's the elect. The Bible tells us there's the elect. But I also believe that God seems to continue to elect people I nominate. And so we need to continue to spread the gospel. Because purpose of creation is the redemption of our souls. 
The redemption of sons and daughters of God. That is the purpose of creation. You see, the only reason we know anything about God is because God chooses to reveal it to us. And God chooses to reveal himself to us. And something we see about God is that he is a redeemer. That is clear in the Old Testament and that is clear in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says this as he writes his letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The apostle Paul is saying, For those, and he's speaking plurally, for those of us who have been found in him, we understand that God created us to be found in him. And our redemption for his glory is the reason we exist, and it will be the focus of all eternity. The Bible tells us that the angels serve as ministers for this. Redemption is the reason we exist. And if you have a problem with the way that God has done this in creating us, creating the world, and then us falling and us coming to know him as a redeemer, then you have a problem with God. And if a part of your worship isn't God as the redeemer, you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. If we exalt God in our music without focusing on redemption, we're not exalting the right God. If we go through recovery programs and pursuit in our life, but we're not understanding God's redemption, then we're just picking up ourselves up by our bootstraps and patting ourselves on the back and not we're focusing on who God is. If our gratification and joy in our life is not at the complete appreciation of the redemption that we've experienced through the cross of Jesus Christ, then it is not true worship of God. True worship of God is centered on our redemption and heaven will be our eternal adoration for God and his redemption of us. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory, to Jesus Christ's name, to the glory of God, our Father. And Christian, this is why we persevere. This is why we persevere through whatever may come our way because we know we are citizens of the kingdom of God and why God leaves us on this earth through these things is for the purpose of his redemption of other people. We continue to live and move and breathe to bring glory to God by being people who proclaim the good news of who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus says, be on guard because it gets tough. Verse 21, if then anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and signs and wonder, perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I've told you, all things beforehand. People are going to try and take us away from focusing on Christ. They can't take you out of the hand of God, but they're going to try. And it's going to be tough. And be on guard. Jesus places the focus on those who will endure to the end. Verse 13 in this text says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And certainly those Christians experience the persecution. They were hated for their their faith. And often that happens to us. Now, some of you, I feel like you just wanna be hated, like you've listened to too many Taylor Swift songs and you've got this chip on your shoulder. 
So stop with that. <laughs> but never mind. I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> but the reality is, if we're really persevering and spreading the gospel, it's offensive. It says we need to change. It says we're sinners. And so it's gonna be tough sometimes. It's gonna be tough for the church sometimes. But our hope is in the truth of the kingdom of God. Jesus says in verse 27, then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. That means four winds, means four every direction. All the nations, he's coming to bring them to himself. Verse 28 says, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch has become tender and put out, puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And I truly believe Jesus was saying the things he's predicting there in Mark chapter 13 would happen in that generation, and they did with what took place in AD 70 in Jerusalem. Will it maybe happen in some way again? Possibly. But ultimately what we see here is that there were those who were hated for his name's sake, those who were persecuted, kingdoms that passed away, and heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And our vision as a church and our vision as believers should be that we and others build our lives not on things that are temporal, but on the one thing that lasts forever, and that's the word of God. The word of God became flesh in the person of Christ, and so him and his kingdom is the only thing that will matter in the end. A friend told me not too long ago that someone was asking them about their faith and said, who are you apart from God? And if you can't answer who you are apart from God, actually two people have told me this recently, then if you, who you are apart from God, then you really don't know your identity. And this is common um, indoctrination of the deconstruction movement right now. Here's why we can't really answer that question. To say who I am apart from God would be like saying who I am apart from oxygen. It's like someone saying, imagine you're not a human being. Then what's your identity? To think about my life without the existence of God is not only faulty, but it's heretical. It's blasphemous. The only reason I live and move and breathe is because of God. And God is the only thing that will exist for all of eternity. And every kingdom and every life on this earth must understand where they fall in that. This nation is a great nation. I'm so thankful for the freedoms that we've had in this nation. But there is likely an end on earth to this nation if we look at history. Only the kingdom of God is eternal. And if that is true for all nations, then we might examine our life and ask what we are building our life on. Maybe we're building a castle on the sand. You see, kingdoms built on anything other than God's word will fade away. And that's the invitation to you today is to build your life on the word of God revealed to us fully in Christ. And then the invitation to the Christian today is that's why God still has you here. It's for the nations to be glad and for your neighbor to be glad. And we must make this our priority. I heard a story one time that I think is made up. Um, 
If it's true, you can tell me about it afterwards, but um, I still probably won't believe you, but that's okay. Um, And it made me think, I thought about it when I was preparing for today. It's a story about this this little lighthouse that was set up on an island uh, in uh, the southern hemisphere. And, you know, whoever told it was probably from the northern hemisphere, so we didn't know if it really existed or not. Um, but basically, it was a light, there was a lighthouse on this island, and it was set up as a, a place to rescue ships, rescue ships that crashed in a very dangerous cape. And um, there was usually one or two people that would man the lighthouse. Well, this guy, his ship crashes, and he's, he's by himself, or he's the only survivor, and so he's there, and he's waiting for help. And um, he's pretty resilient, and so he kind of creates a community, you know, he creates a little neighborhood for himself while he's waiting on these people, and at the same time, more ships begin to crash, and he, he rescues those people, and all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's a handful of people who are living on this island, and they come to realize this is actually a pretty great life. We're on an island, you know, we can kind of do things our way, and we, we care for each other, our needs are met, and so, you know, they're kind of building this, this community for themselves, and they're rescuing ships, and Before too long, they forget why the lighthouse was put there and why the one or two people were there in the first place. And they're so focused on the community they have and the life that they give each other that they stop rescuing ships that are crashing and people die. And I think that's a lot like what the church in America has become. We're thankful for the community and the life that we give each other, but we forget the reason we exist, the reason we continue to be on this earth is so that the nations would be glad. That there are children, the age of my children, who've never heard of the good news of Jesus Christ. Who will go? Who will God send? May we say, here am I. Send me. May we as a church say, God, use us for your glory to be spread among all the nations. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here today whose life is built on kingdoms that will pass away, God, that they would see your design, they would admit their sin and their brokenness and they would believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you for the many in this room who have experienced the good news of Christ. And I thank you for the community of faith that we have. The way that needs are met the way that friendships are built, the way that people are cared for. I thank you for the freedom we have in this country. But God, help us not to forget the reason we're here. God, we will spend eternity with you in heaven, in your kingdom. But here on earth, we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, as we live our lives, may we have in our vision a day when around your throne are representatives from every people group 
praising God. In Jesus' name I pray.